0: Welcome to On the Fly College Edition, a podcast presented by Playfly Sports. I'm your host, GD Filippo. Playfly Sports is the full service marketing and media company bringing digitally enabled innovations to the sports industry. Our guest today is Joe Castiglione, the director of athletics at the University of Oklahoma. Joe is certainly one of the top athletic directors in the country. But more than that, he is one of the leaders in intercollegiate athletics on so many
1: different fronts. Joe, welcome to On the Fly podcast. It's great to be with you. And uh, I can remember back so many different opportunities we had as colleagues and friends to be together in so many settings. I bet you we could do about 10 of these podcasts and tell stories.
0: Oh, some of the stories would be absolutely great. I think we'll get to some of the stories, um, but some of the things that you did uh, when you were an up and comer at the University of Missouri are some of the funniest stories I've ever heard. I've heard them many times, but as you know, I make you tell them again to people because they're that funny. (laughs) You know, you've had, you you started out at Maryland and then went to Rice and then down to Missouri. You've had a great career. Take people through the steps that you went through? Because we've got a lot of associate ADs out there, young people that want to be like Joe
1: Castiglione. Take them through what you went through. Gene, you know, it's uh, really kind of interesting, just from the standpoint that when uh, you and I came up, there really weren't many role model type athletic directors. Now, there were athletic directors, but in our formative years, many of those positions were held by people who were given that as sort of a retirement job. And, uh, you know, not that they weren't good people and not that they didn't do good jobs, but they they came from coaching, which is, you know, very, very uh, great path. And so they were obviously um, good at relating to other coaches because they had walked in those shoes, um, former players, because many of them played the sport they coached in this world that we've been in in the last probably 20 to 30 years you know it's been completely different and uh, I remember starting out Gene when people didn't really want to use the word business around college athletics yet uh, on the administrative side it was all about business not necessarily in the traditional sense of profit and loss um, but trying to use business acumen to run an efficient operation that could fund most of itself, if not all of itself. So I think back, um, I didn't grow up thinking of getting in this business. I actually grew into it during my um, time at the University of Maryland. And I took the uh, opportunity to do something on the fly, no pun intended to this podcast, (laughs) But uh, uh, getting into it through sports marketing. That was a brand new type of area for college athletics. And uh, I was fortunate um, at Maryland to work in the athletic department as a student in the area of sports marketing. And they were only one of three schools in America that were attempting to do something in this area. So I thought I had you know, something unique to offer. And most people didn't understand it. Um, and I found that out by all the letters that I wrote but one did, and that was the AD at Rice University. And I got a job interview in April of my senior year, got the offer after the interview, graduated in May and started July 1 working full-time at Rice University and been working full-time ever since. Uh, I was there for about 17 months, went to Georgetown um, University and I uh, was there for a year and then missouri came calling and uh, they were trying to start a sports marketing program and wanted to hire their first ever marketing director and i got offered the job and took it um thought i had moved too many times in the first few years of my job i didn't want to be known as somebody couldn't hold down a job or a job hopper so i thought i better stay there maybe three to five years well that turned into more than three to five years i was there total of 17 years. But the last five of those, I was uh, Missouri's athletic director. Wasn't looking to leave Missouri either. And then Oklahoma came calling. And um, now I'm in my 24th year at the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, in this job, Gene, you never take any year for granted. So I try to just do the very best I can year to year and putting the people I'm responsible for in the best position to be successful.
0: Well, you have certainly done that
1: as you've
0: had tremendous success at Mizzou and now at Oklahoma. So uh, you're doing a lot of things right. Hey, Joe, what advice would you give to a younger Joe Castiglione at the start
1: of your career? Be self-aware and keep an open mind. I find, um, I find many uh, young aspiring uh, athletic administrators, you know, trying to get too perfect, too specific, thinking they're just going to step into this field with a big title and, you know, they get discouraged when it doesn't happen. Now, and I think back to where I was, I was just hoping to get a job. Any job, just a foot in the door was willing to do anything. And so when I think back in the way my career path went, I don't know that I would change anything. Uh, I actually think some of my experiences uh, helped shape me and they weren't all good. Um, It, you know, sometimes you think about what you're supposed to be doing and my younger self, Gene. Those early years, um, I, I didn't, I didn't have the full grasp, and that's where I say self-awareness. I was flexible, I was open-minded, but I wasn't really fully grasping what my role was. I think I pushed hard to do the what, and not as much for the why. And then a switch flipped, and I realized what being in college athletics is all about. And it might be somebody working in a business office, it might be somebody working in compliance, and marketing development, wherever it is. Coach, we all should say, should really share the same why. The why is always centered around how we can create the best experience for the student athletes we're responsible for mentoring and you can do it through a lot of different avenues i was just thinking career 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 what's my next step what's my next title all of that you know maybe even you know how much money i could make even though we didn't make much money as you know gene but you know back then if you're starting out making twelve thousand, and if you got to thirteen thousand, you thought you hit the jackpot you know so um but the point is the it's the why. It's the why you're in this profession. It's the why you have your role. And it's the why that really propels you to get you know what I think the the most intrinsic reward out of out of the role you have. And that's why I, I don't even use the word job, because if you really dive in to what you are doing in this world, it's the why. And so you're really you're really playing a role that doesn't feel like a job and so that would be you know when I was thinking back I wish I would have known about the why a little earlier but it it took me a little bit of time but fortunately not too long (laughs) Joe it didn't take you
0: very long at all you're being very modest Joe you've been a terrific leader both at Missouri at Oklahoma Uh, You've been president of the 1A Directors of Athletics. You've been president of NACTA. What are some of the traits and characteristics that make for a great leader?
1: Uh, Integrity, uh, consistency, consistency, purpose, and um, really subordinating one's own personal goals for those that are most important for the people you serve. And so I am really um, an example of a servant leader. Uh, It's not so much how many followers that a leader has. It's more how many people we can develop into leaders themselves and helping them be successful. And I really thought about that, you know, again, when I had that switch flip early in my career. It's not about me. It's never going to be about me. You know, I have a role to play. I have to make decisions. Eugene, you've been in this, you know, this chair. You know what it's like. You know, you have to make decisions. And many times when you make decisions, as much as they are, you know, important for the best interests of the university you serve, they're not always popular. And you have to be comfortable with that. That's for sure. Um, you know, because the bottom line is the people we serve. And if we are making those decisions based on their best interests were going to be in the best place in the long run. This uh, wall over um, my shoulder here that you see the word magic, um, that would be another uh, important characteristic of any great leader is to have a a set of core values that you have total conviction in upholding. And uh, I have my own personal core values, you do too, but the MAGIC um, acronym is the uh, uh, stands for the core values that we uh, uphold in our athletic program. M is for masterful, A is for accountable, G is for gracious, and I guess I'm hiding the C here, move over one way or the other, um, and C is for competitive. We're in Oklahoma, we have to, be successful. You know, we, uh, we have people that have expectations, although some of them are, you know, totally unrealistic at times, but, um, we're at Oklahoma. So we, we put competitive last because it's the path we follow to be the most successful. There is a defined blueprint that we follow here at Oklahoma to try to create our success. And, you know, at the, at the end of, um, you know, the point in time where we get evaluated, we want people to be not only excited about the success that we achieve, but the way it went, we went about creating success, meaning that we do it the right way with class and integrity. So I think, I think it's having great purpose, having great values and understanding in the bigger picture, you're there to serve others to help them be at their best.
0: Yeah. Joe, that's, that is so good. Thank you for sharing that. You know, being a, a college football historian, uh, I go back to right after the war when Jim Tatum took over for a year at Oklahoma, followed by Bud Wilkinson, who won 31 consecutive games and then 47 consecutive games. And, you know, he passed it on to, to, um, ch- uh, to uh, Chuck, to Chuck. Fairbanks and on and on to Barry Switzer. When you came to Oklahoma, the success rate that Oklahoma had had for the past few years was not like its history at all. What attracted you to an assistant coach at the university of Florida by the name of Bob Stoops, who'd never been a head coach.
1: Well, there are many, uh, attributes that, uh, Bob Stoops possessed that attracted me. I had been following his career a little bit, um, as, as you know, he played at Iowa uh, for the great Hayden Fry, and then started coaching. Um, uh, he was a GA at Kent State, you know. Then uh, when Bill Snyder, who was on Hayden Fry's staff, got the uh, the uh, head coaching position at Kansas State, hired Bob as his assistant, and then you know his co defensive coordinator. And so being in the same conference um, with Kansas State, I knew about Bob and certainly watched the uh, turnaround of turnarounds occur at Kansas State University under Coach Snyder. Um, So I got to see it a little bit firsthand. I was at Missouri at the time for all of that. And then he left to go to Florida uh, to be defensive coordinator under Coach Spurrier. And so um, you know, I I really – as an ad we always track you know other people in the business not knowing if um or when we'd be in a uh position to hire but we knew sometime it could happen and sometimes you know when you least expect it um so i had bob on a list and then when i sat down and uh started talking he and i together and we spent four hours probably um getting to know each other, talking, we're both very detailed oriented people. So we talked about everything under the sun um, related to running a program. You you have to know at the time I was only here at Oklahoma for about three and a half to four months myself. So I was still learning about Oklahoma, but amongst amongst the many great characteristics that coach Stoops had was um, that he, he understood the big picture for a young coach who had not been a head coach. He understood the bigger picture. And um, he knew you know, the, that he was gonna bring a blueprint that would uh, be able to be put in front of his current players and get them to buy in as quickly as they could, as well as those that he was going to recruit in the future. And I, they would relate to their parent or guardian. Um, I knew that he was going to put together a great staff, which he did. Um, And then there's, you know, those intangibles that you can't always measure, but you can sense. And I think one of those was the confidence that you could see how confident a person he was. He's not arrogant. He, in fact, is very humble guy. But he has a way uh, about him that it's not only confidence in his ability, but I could see how he could transfer that confidence to the people around him, and sure enough, that happened. He just had the it factor, if you will, and sometimes when people would hear him talk, they thought maybe he was a little arrogant and i, I, I that was quite the opposite he was a He was a guy that put everybody else first, he never made any excuses, he owned it when things didn't go well, but as you know. <laughs> Um, He never had a losing season at Oklahoma. You know, his first year, he won seven games. He never won less than eight games in his career, won 10 championships, won a national championship, was in four national championship games. And, um, you know, with Bob, and he said this in his introductory press conference, when success comes and he sort of just put that mind, planted that seed right away. When success comes, it's going to be about the collective efforts of everybody else not him and he operated with that mantra his entire time and and i think in a lot of ways you know that that um you know cemented what we were um putting in place for all of our programs and in, in terms of our blueprint and uh obviously when we hired lincoln riley and got to watch him you know under um, coach stoops for those three years you could see similar characteristics and then, you know, Coach Stoops decides it's time for him, to, you know, to retire. And obviously Lincoln being here, uh, it made it a smart choice, not, not an easy choice, the smart choice, the wise choice to hire him as our next head coach. Okay.
0: Joe, what are some of the more rewarding things that you have experienced
1: in being at Missouri and at Oklahoma? being around student athletes has to be at the top. Um, it It's always fun to uh, celebrate success to see them win big games, especially games when very few but themselves thought winning that game was possible. And then uh, obviously winning championships, winning national championships, the culmination of their hard work. But It's the journey with them that is probably the most rewarding, Gene, and gives the greatest perspective because you get to know them on a different level. You know, you know, the path they've traveled to get here. You know, the challenges that they've overcome, you know, to to be successful in their sport. Um, And then when you see them have success, you know, to the people that watch them at that moment, uh, they may they may think that they've just been great and perfect and make it look easy, and it's been that way for them the entire time. And you realize, you know, all the different challenges, the ups and downs, maybe even times when they thought they'd walk away from their sport, but they stuck with it. Um, I, I think that kind of process where they see things in themselves, and maybe, Gene, as you know, because you've been in coaching as well, you know, the greatest coaches see something in their players or their student athletes that sometimes the student athletes don't yet see for themselves. And the greatest teachers find a way to help them understand that. And then you see that epiphany or that light bulb go on. And then you see where it goes from there. Those are my greatest moments um, to be able to watch those processes and, uh, so when you win, you, you you know you haven't been practicing winning. You've been practicing doing the right things that help you win or be successful, and then they come to, you know, come to the point where you make it happen. And, you know, we won a lot of championships here, but we've also, you know, got to that point. We've had three runner-up finishes already this year, and you're like, ah! you know, you're right there you know, trying to win one, and you're like, oh. And here we are playing, you know, as we're taping this, um, you know, we're playing for another national championship and hopefully we can, we can win that. Um, so, uh, but you, you, you ride that with them and help create the perspective for student athletes that they could carry with them the rest of their lives. So they have that transferable quality that they um, developed here on campus that will apply to whatever they choose to do in their life. But the the best part of it too, has been to enjoy it with my own family, my two sons and my wife. We've, We've really had the um, ride of a lifetime being part of the lives of so many people. You sure have.
0: Those are lucky
1: student athletes
0: uh, to be at the University of Oklahoma. That's for sure. Joe, I consider three people to be the fathers of intercollegiate athletic marketing. Don Canham, Russ Potts, and Joe Castiglione. There's a lot of young people out here that are listening and don't realize that college marketing and and the marketing of college athletics is not very old. In fact, it's fairly new. Talk about some of the things that you did early on uh, that nobody or very few people were doing. And then some of the things that you're doing now at Oklahoma that you shared with me that are really at, at the at the top of the heap
1: well gene i I have a quick response when you put me in the category of the first two I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy Oh uh, yes
0: you are my friend yes you uh, are
1: the uh The two you mentioned were actually uh, the two that I would point at as being. Um, huge influencers in my life. Obviously, I got to work for Russ as a student at the University of Maryland, but I told Don Cannon many times um, that uh, he was a role model in a kind of a, you know, out of town mentor to me when he didn't even realize it. Um, uh, But the other person too that uh, I would put in that category who I got to work for, who hired me at the University of Missouri was Dave Hart Sr. Uh, we all know our great mutual friend, Dave Hart Jr. And, and then his son, Rick, who was the athletic director at SMU, but um, Dave Hart Sr. hired me at Missouri. And it was the place where I think, you know, my career really took off. Um, you know, we're doing different things. I mean, I think about, um, you know, having to do things with no resources at Rice and Georgetown and, and early on, you know, at Missouri, because people didn't understand the whole world of marketing, but that, that actually was part of the great characteristics of being successful in marketing itself is, you know, you don't always get things handed to you. You have to go out and figure out creative, innovative ways to make things happen. And, um, uh, Without any money, <laughs> so you, to, you know you have to go out. That's trade. Right. It's it's almost like to be you know to be successful in marketing, you have to be an entrepreneur first. You know because you have to create some type of capital. If it's cash, if it's trade, if it's you know, you're something that you're you're using as um, collateral that you can exchange to make something else happen. And that's actually in in the sense of marketing what it's all about. You're You're, you know, trying to facilitate a process to create top of the mind awareness, um, to create a hook to get people interested, and then, most importantly, something that calls them to action, and engages them. And you know, at its basic core, that's what it is. Um, But it can take the forms of so many different things, and. The biggest thing especially in college athletics still today gene is getting people in seats and keeping them in their seats um it's one of the biggest challenges that we have today and it was i worked at places you know where we didn't have winning football programs and it was hard to get people into a stands or you know sometimes when programs are struggling and uh you have to find creative ways and the big buzz phrases in today's world uh are fan engagement um and activation and uh and so uh that that's where you know they're probably moving away from calling it marketing and promotion to all the different other new buzzwords but you have to connect you know john maxwell the great author wrote a book and I love this title of this book I love the book more but um He wrote a book that everybody communicates but few connect and in marketing you know the key is to connect and back then gene we didn't know as much as we know now we didn't have a lot of data to to utilize you know to be very targeted i mean we could talk about um ratings as they had them for radio and television uh or newspapers or you know that you could build off but those were more generic back then you're trying to hit a broader audience and because you didn't have a lot of money to work with, sometimes you had to go more of a shotgun approach and hit, you know, broad, hoping right. that some of it would hit, you know, and yep. now it's very, it's almost surgical strikes. You can do with, um, you know, everything that we have at our, our fingertips that technology has and continues to provide. And um, I think right now is the, the most important thing is things have to be uh, uh, relatable across so many different platforms that people have available to them. You know, the traditional ones as well as how people are spending their time. And, um, and I have it right here in front of me, but a lot of them are on this, you know, this this device. And, uh you know, that they've got, those devices have gotten so good that even computers, you know, that they might use, you know, in their office, they don't use them as much because everything can be done on one's phone. They're watching programs. They're, now you go to um, events, games, you know, there are interactive ways that people can engage while they're sitting there. It's not just, um, you know, just sitting there and watching the game by itself. There are second screen, third screen options. There are There are activities you can do every great venue now is create a good connectivity. So you have, you know, good high speed Wi-Fi. A lot of times people are are um, not just interested in their own world of what's going on in the game. They want to know what's going on with everybody else at the game. (laughs) Their friends are over here. They're over there. They're texting. They're sending pictures. They're snapping, you know, shots of them. You know, they're going out on Instagram, Snapchat, all the different platforms. Um, you know, they're, they're getting, um, content that they want to use in some other different way. Um, and so you have to facilitate that and the experience, you know, people don't have a lot of time. So you must think about the time that they invest in coming is so valuable. I mean, that's, that's a commodity and, um, we're having to think about ways that, you know, just get them to the stadium in a great frame of mind. And efficiently get them into the stadium, and what they can do when they're in the stadium. So, uh, standing in long lines at concession stands, not anymore. You know, you you order your concessions, you know, on your phone before you get there. It's paid for. You just walk up to a line, and you have your takeout, and it's ready to go. I mean, we figured out you could drive up to a grocery store or a store, and they could come out and put um, food in your car, you know, or your items that you buy. Why couldn't we do that at concession stands? So during the pandemic, that was something we perfected last year. And people are like, wow, I didn't miss hardly any of the game, you know? <laughs> you know. So we don't have the in-seat delivery yet, but that will be the next iteration where, you know, somebody will order their concessions. It'll, you know, they'll get them. And then somebody, it's like an in-stadium DoorDash or Grubhub or, you know, Postmates or whatever you call those. Um or you just get it brought to your seat. You've got to think about those ways that facilitate people's enjoyment. And then, you know, keep them connected in days between those events. Um, they get distracted, people get distracted because there's too many options right now. And um, you've got to keep them focused on coming to your events. Everybody talks about the TV, Gene, as the biggest, you know, competitor. And it is, you know, that they've got bigger screens, you know, better, you know, better resolution, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, but they can't replicate game day. And that's why, you know, places like Oklahoma, game day is still huge. You know, there's a lot of game day that you get for free. You know, it doesn't cost you one dime. You know, it's there are just sensory overload opportunities here that you come and it's, and now we're getting out of a pandemic where we can be around people again and, you have activities before and during the game and after the game. It's a whole day event, and I think that is part of, you know, what we need to protect in the long run. Um, but make it, you know, where where people know that they can go enjoy it, you know, and and make it happen on their own time. And then between times, yeah, you know, there are ways to keep connected, and we're going to keep using technology to our benefit.
0: Joe, about the future um as far as television goes and as far as uh new contracts for different conferences that'll be coming up in the next two three four years i don't think anybody knows exactly where things will go but do you see new networks coming forward do you see netflix getting involved maybe amazon getting involved uh to, along with the ESPNs and the Foxes of the world, do you see new people coming into college athletics that will help to uh, continue to elevate the the dollars that come from
1: uh, the television networks? Gene, I believe that live event content is still king, and there'll always be... A very competitive market forces trying to make sure that they either hold on to it or acquire it if it provides them that type of vehicle to connect the rest of their business. And that's the way we have to think about it. You know, I, I think Amazon's step into the um, live sports world with their new deal um, with the NFL is possibly indicative of what others might try to do, but we, we don't know yet, as you said. you know, One would tend to think that there'll be a Google, an Apple TV, a YouTube, a Netflix, somebody else see the value of um, live sports in what they're trying to achieve. But the traditional media companies, CBS, NBC, uh, it, uh, obviously ESPN, ABC, Fox, they're not necessarily gonna just step aside and let them you know, get access to it when that's still a huge part of um, what drives their network operations. I think the biggest change that we're seeing right now is the transition from you know, traditional cable or linear uh, distribution to digital. And the streaming services that we see Um, Those that we just mentioned and or companies that have created new streaming services are really just new delivery systems because, you know, consumers have, you know, heretofore grown with cable, you know, as it started off is I remember if you got thirty channels, you're like, "Wow, we have thirty channels!" And I can remember when we were growing up, we had three. You know, <laughs> right? I remember remember the three channels. channels. That's right. That shows yeah. our age. Yeah. Well, then you get thirty, then you get fifty, then you get a hundred, then you get two hundred and fifty. And like everybody is like, you know, the the more the better. But then they realized they were paying for all of that and they weren't watching all of that. And you know, over time. Uh, they started to see the cost of their cable bill go up and up and up and uh, to a point where you know easily people were spending 250 300 dollars a month on a cable bill and most of it was paying for for um, channels they didn't watch so they started trying to do skinnier packages and oh you know over the top and different um, pay programs and now you know they're realizing that people want very specific content so you could just buy what you want and watch it you know on these streaming services and and so i think now um at the moment you know they're more affordable because they're getting people to sign up but in time you know the more that they get on the streaming services the more the monthly subscriber fees or yearly subscriber fees will go up and So it's just transitioning the consumer to a new distribution system and, you know, allowing them to have basically appointment television where they can watch anything they want whenever they want. Because even the programs that um, are live, if they miss those, are archived or, um, you know, put on a, you know, a recorded system where they can go back and watch them when they want. And that's what the new world is. And so um, I I think that, you know, this is part – you know, technology moving our 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 consumer base to a different place and then you know the insatiable appetite that uh, sports fans have for for um, sports themselves now um, there are more competition out there of course but I think in the terms of college I believe that there's still huge market and I and um, you know probably you know more than ever before you've got fan bases that want to connect with, you know, their favorite teams. And, and so they're finding a way to do it. I I think the, the economy will have had some, you know, impact on us, you know, going forward. But um, I do believe there's still going to be a very robust uh, environment for bidding. And we've already seen it uh, start to shape, take shape with the NFL rights.
0: Yeah, well said. Joe, of all of, my friends and colleagues, uh, in intercollegiate athletics, you've done as good a job as anybody in balancing, uh, a big time athletic director and a big time program with your family. How do you do that? And how difficult
1: is it, uh, to maintain? It's extremely difficult, Gene. I, uh, I don't know that I've done the best job. I I can look back and second guess myself like a lot of people might. I did prioritize um, making sure that I was there for as many of my um, family events as I could be. Admittedly, I wasn't perfect, (laughs) Uh, but they knew that there were times that um, it wasn't so much I was choosing work over them, but they knew there's sometimes where it just was impossible but the vast majority of the time i would make sure i was there for all of their events and uh and I, that was the the one thing i heard from ad's and coaches you know over a time i was coming up in the profession that they regretted you know they regretted missing you know a lot of things that their sons or daughters did so i wanted to make sure i I didn't do that because we both know you don't get those back. Um, Having a great wife, a great spouse, you know, whatever um, is obviously very important. And I give my wife um, a great deal of credit because, you know, we talked about this, uh, you know, early on in our relationship that there was going to have to be, you know, some uh, probably some moments where she has to carry the load at home, you know, because of, whatever demands there were placed on me in, in, in my job no different than any other um, career path um, you know my wife didn't get the uh, you know sort of the lead up to being an ads wife like a coach's wife or an ads wife of others that we know in a profession do where you're taking this job and moving here moving there I mean I I uh, I was actually an athletic director um, when I got married, so we, uh, she had met me like uh, we had met maybe six, eight months before I became an AD. So she she got a very short <laughs> time period to understand it, and so I give her all the credit in the world. Um, I couldn't love her more and appreciate her more than I do for being not only a great wife but the best mom to two boys. Um, and you know, my sons, you know, to talk about them, I, you know, they. I would involve them. We had many um, lunches or dinners going to various events where you said of wrestling or volleyball or soccer, or baseball, softball, you know, whatever. I mean, obviously, they went to basketball and, and football games, but, you know, sometimes we'd just get dinner and sit up in the stands and eat our dinner while we're watching the game because that was, that you know, had to find a time to do it. You know, I'd, sure i i was able to coach you know my son's teams a little bit so that was fun you know when they were playing football um but i'd uh i i also had some crazy times when i was trying to hire coaches and i'd go to my son's baseball game and i'd be out in the uh, outfield way way away from everybody doing a, a job interview with a prospective candidate you know because I, I don't it was the only time you could catch somebody you know and sure. as much as you say i'm gonna schedule it here or there and but sometimes it just is any other choice. So, you know, so many of those kinds of, um, experiences, I think, you know, we're, were part of, um, that. And I, and I talked to my sons about that. And, you know, you've been through this too, Gene, you know, they, they grow up in a world where their father is, um, not because we seek any kind of attention or, or visibility, but our job just requires it to a point. And, um, they have to live through the um, the comments that people make about their father, and, um, and especially having the last name. People, not not, it's not like we have a common name of Smith, Brown, or Jones. Yeah, you know, they right. you know, they pretty well right. stands out. Um, and you know, they they go through things uh, that we would talk about, and I think it's important to have really good communication. And then, you know, you remember, you know, how your kids, they pick up things. And uh, I remember one day I was sitting in my office and my son was four and a half years old, five years old, and he called me. And um, my assistant comes in and says, Little Joe's on the phone. And I said, really? And I like thought something was wrong at home. And he got on there and proceeded that, telling me that he was interested in, getting this new golf bag to learn how to play golf. And he was running a capital campaign and wanted to know if I would contribute to it. A capital campaign. (laughs) So so you don't know where, you know, I must've been on the phone talking to a prospective donor at home and he overheard this. I don't know where he picked it up, but you, you know, just those kinds of moments. And, uh, you well, know, it makes sense when you wanted to build new facilities, you ran a capital campaign. Yeah. He wants golf clubs—he's going he's to hold a capital campaign. But the, but the same—the same kind of things that you and I are talking about here about ourselves or administrators or athletic directors—I talk about the exact same thing to coaches, um, and I think that's part of what helps us retain coaches here. Is that you know we do uh, talk about the importance of having a quality of life along with, you know, being, you know, in a high profile position. I mean, sure, you know, contract and compensation, all of that has something to do with retention. Their success has something to do with retention, but there's reasons why coaches come to a place and stay for a long period of time. And I think, uh, one of the characteristics of our success here at Oklahoma has been continuity. Because every year I get um, ads from other schools calling about you know one coach of this sport or that sport trying to hire them. And you know at some point you know we we know what the market is and the market forces and how much we can afford. Um, but if you want the total package, where the culture and that is I talked about this earlier in our interview the culture that we have here is truly part of the blueprint of our success. And without you know, investing in the culture day after day, um, you, you just don't get it to happen. But the culture of having that balance between pursuing championships and excellence in every level, um, you know, what we preach to our student athletes, that they can complete their degree and grow as a person as well as develop you know, in their sport, the culture that's around them that's inclusive and respectful and you know looks out for their best interests those gene those things matter and you know it's a reason why you're able to keep a bob stoops for 18 years i mean he could have been anywhere in any pro team at any college team he wanted um but he chose to in this case have his entire career at oklahoma i mean that's that's like we don't take that for granted that's super special and uh you know, we've had coaches who just had two legends retire. Sherry Cole was here for 25 years, a Hall of Fame coach. Lon Kruger, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, done an amazing job at one of the only coaches in the history of the sport to take five programs to NCAA tournaments. He's been to Final Fours. I mean, And he, he, he just do it the right way. But they come to Oklahoma and they see that you can be successful, you can be passionate, but there's a quality of life. And I think those are the kinds of things that – you talk to young people, is never lose sight of that balance because it's, you know, we we can talk about physical fitness, but the quality of work-life balance is also part of your mental fitness, and that helps you be better, leader, more successful, have the endurance that people around you can feed off of and help, you know, shape their path to success.
0: You know, when we came up, it was who's who's going to outwork who, and, you know, and not family and this and that and the other thing. But you're right. You've created a culture at Oklahoma where people want to stay. And, you know, that's important.
1: It's important that, you know, you can see that, um, you know, our, our softball coach is one of the greatest of all time. And she's been here 25 years, 26 years. And she's she, – I mean, she's not – look at where she is. I mean, she's at a number one team this year. So you can, you, you can see where people stay invigorated, refreshed, energized. Um, it, it, cause you you always, we, we never feel like we've got it all figured out. It's always about the continuous improvement and how we can get better and, and, um, stay on the cutting edge.
0: We've been very fortunate to have one of the top leaders in all of intercollegiate athletics, and certainly one of the best athletic directors in the country. Joe Castiglione, thank you so much for your time. Uh, the lessons uh, that you have learned and passed down and the, the mentoring that you have provided to young people, um, we are a much, much better profession because of you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you making time to be with us, and we'll be in
1: touch soon. Well thank you Gene and I, I want to thank you for really which is most of my lifelong friendship you've been not just a great colleague but a great friend and I'm a better person for having Gene D Filippo in my life so thank you for all you've done and for me along the way as a great friend and uh, being there still today thanks Joe We're out of time on this
0: week's on the fly college edition I'm your host Gene D Filippo Thanks for your time this time, and we'll see you next time.